bonus episode of King of the Monsters. Hey everybody, welcome to King of the Monsters, the only podcast that knows you've got to pick up every stitch when you're messing with the season of the witch. I'm Executioner Joe. And I'm Spooky Lukey. And today we are bringing you yet another Hidden Horrors episode. Uh, This time for two of George Romero's kind of lesser known classics. Yeah, so if you didn't get get one of the films from what Spooky Lukey just said, we're going to be talking about Season of the Witch and Martin. Oh yeah. And uh, what's kind of interesting about this... uh, so we just recently, uh, I'm guessing by the time this video comes out, we'll probably be either at the very end of the King of the Vampires bracket or just finished it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of when the placement of this being released will be. But either way, uh, so some of you probably remember us kind of talking about Martin a little bit. Uh, uh, I think during round three of our King of the Vampires. Yeah. Um, uh. I'll just say votes didn't <laughs> didn't really reflect that many people knew. Yeah, well, we even Martin. had like a comment being like, "Who's Martin?" I know. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, <coughs> with that said, still have the stupid cold. But anyways, <laughs> with that said, this video is kind of uh, a look at George Romero and kind of some of his own personal philosophies. Yeah. As we study his interpretation of both the characters of a witch. And a vampire. And, so. like, unlike our, like, polls and stuff where we kind of get a little bit into the movies and stuff, this will, might be a little bit more of a deep dive. Yeah. A little yeah. bit more spoilery. So if you haven't seen the films, you might want to check them out. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just as Joe was saying, we're, we're probably not going to hold anything back as far as spoilers go. So either maybe fast forward to, like, the last ten minutes of this where we're just pretty much only talking about the... Uh, you know, what we would recommend over the other or just uh, watch the movies first. Or if you really don't care, why, why not? Why yeah. not just listen? So anyways, with that said, Joe, are we ready to, to get into the season of The Witch? Yes. This film came out in 1972. I sort bo- of. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I saw some corresponding years, 72, 73. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Evidently, okay, this movie has a very weird history as far as release goes. Uh, Some of you may remember from all the way back from when we covered The Mutilator. And Chopping Mall was the original name of Chopping Mall, right? I'm pretty sure that was the original name. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think. I think we've had a couple instances where the name changed for a movie. But anyways, Mm -hmm. um, that this movie, Season of the Witch, had not won... But two name changes. And so, according to IMDb, it was originally released in 1971 as Hungry Wives, which I believe when we watched the movie, I think it started off with saying Hungry Wives. Yeah, I think so. If I remember right. So, anyways, and that that cut ran 130 minutes long. And then it was, again, that was in 1971. Then it was re-released later on, I guess a year later, as Jack's Wife. Uh, that this time it was cut down to a uh, hundred and four minutes, 
And then way later, according to this, it was in 1982. I don't know if I trust this, but it says apparently in 1982 is when it was renamed Season of the Witch and had a cut that ran 89 minutes. Yeah, and I guess George Romero like shot over four hours of footage, yeah. which that like this movie is kind of slow. Very slow, yeah, so definitely. A four-hour cut, like there, <laughs> like I felt kind of confused during the movie, so I don't know if there are scenes that kind of would explain some things. Yeah, but it would be really slow, I think. And the the hard part about it is this movie has a lot of exposition already where it's just kind of talking about stuff you know yeah uh there's there's not a whole lot of action in here even you know we'll kind of probably give a little bit of a synopsis of the film yep but uh in all reality like there's very little you know witch business there's but there's a lot of discussion around that kind of stuff yeah and just a quick description of it like on imdb is a neglected unhappy suburban housewife uh with gets mixed up in witchcraft with uh, unexpected consequences. Yeah. I so, I think that's I, a good synopsis, yeah, actually. I don't think I could explain it much better. <laughs> yeah. So, do you want me to kind of go into the story just a little bit? I'll, I'll kind of jump around a little bit. Yeah, let's get into that. Okay. And you can, if there's anything you want to add or if you want to take over at any point, just feel free to jump right in. Yeah, let's do this. But uh, anyways, so I've... Okay, so it starts off, the first, like, ten minutes are some weird art school type stuff where there's all these weird different shots. I'm not going to get too far into that because I don't know if there's any way to interpret those or if they were just kind of some kind of artistic expression. Well, like, uh, I guess because I was reading some articles and kind of looking into it because this is kind of, I guess, for George Romero's film, like, a feminist statement yeah, in there. Yep. So, like, there's some kind of scenes where she's following what is like her husband yeah and stuff oh so. yeah you're right yeah and at one point they kind of like put dog the collar on her and yep. stuff so there's probably some symbolism there for different things yeah that that's a good point i didn't think about that until right now i it must be my stupid man brain could <laughs> <laughs> understand it but anyways um so going forward a little bit <clears throat> uh you have this, this woman, uh, played by Jan White, her name is Joan Mitchell, and I'm pretty sure Joni Mitchell is the name of an actress or something <laughs> in real life. But anyways, her name's Joan Mitchell, <clears throat> and she you can kind of see that she's unhappy. Her husband isn't around a whole lot, usually working. I, I'm assuming he's a, some kind of salesman, Yeah, if I they right. kind of talk about him being some type of businessman. <clears throat> they don't really get too deep into it. Yeah, but anyways... So you have Joan, and she start. She kind of has like these little get-together party type things where they're talking about some woman who has supposedly started dabbling in witchcraft, and that gets Joan's kind of wheels starting to turn, and she goes, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Later on, she uh, has another party. Well, I shouldn't say party. I think there's like four people there, but her, one of her friends, her daughter, and... This guy that her daughter seems kind of interested in. Yeah, I think he's a professor. Yeah. So. But, yeah, I don't know if they're it's dating. It's the 70s. I think they're in some type of relationship or kind of. Yeah. So anyways, and that professor, uh, played by a guy named Raymond Lane, uh, 
His name's Greg. I can't remember <laughs> his last name. I think Greg Williams or something like that. Anyways, though, Greg kind of goes into this whole thing. They, they kind of start talking about the witchcraft just a little bit. And Greg starts talking about how it's all just power of suggestion type stuff and kind of talks about how the reason why voodoo supposedly works, you know, in the Caribbean is just because not only does the person trying to cast the voodoo believe it, but the person that it's getting cast on believes it. And so it's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Uh, We'll probably get into it just a little bit later, but then he kind of does like a little antic that makes every, makes the party kind of go sour. Yeah. So, uh, Joan decides to drive her friend home, and then when she comes back, her daughter and that Greg guy are having sex. Yeah, they the, they thought that the mother was going to be staying at the one friend's house. Yeah, so. oh yeah, she said something about how she was going to be staying there probably or yeah. something. But anyways, uh, so fast forward a little bit, and the, the mom decides that, or Joan decides that, you know what, maybe, maybe... Maybe that guy wasn't so bad. Maybe she wants to sleep with him, too. And so, uh, not only that, but she's kind of trying to dabble in witchcraft. Uh, And is this about the time when she starts having those weird dreams, by the way? Well, there's the first dream at the beginning of the film, but then there's more after. So Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. So, all throughout the film, there's this weird dream where it's this guy wearing like a dark i'd say like a devil mask wouldn't you something like that yeah yeah like this weird dark like demon mask or devil mask or something it looks like almost tribal and in the dream he's like breaking into the house and she's kind of running away from him um anyways so she decides to start kind of like getting into this witchcraft stuff so she goes to this store like a flea market looking thing buys all this junk um and somewhere in the midst of that, she kind of goes over and visits Greg. And Greg kind of, like, comes on to her a little bit. Like, pretty much is like, oh, yeah, like, we don't have to do anything. But if you want to do something, I'm willing to do something. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're a disgusting pig. Blah, blah, blah. No. And she goes home and does all this witchcraft because she wants Greg to sleep with her. Yeah. And so she does this, casts this weird spell, does all this witchcraft stuff. And then calls him and then goes, hey, do you want to have sex? <laughs> He's yeah, like, yeah, like sure. She, she waited a while and the spell didn't. We don't really know if it's working or not. Yeah. So finally, yeah, she just picks up the phone and that worked. Yep. So anyways, and then they wind up sleeping together uh, multiple times throughout the movie. Yeah. At this point, is the daughter missing? Oh. Because the, at some point, the daughter kind of goes yeah. missing and the mother at first thinks it's the professor did something but he said she kind of just ran off i'm not sure yeah she like ran away or something is what his guess is um yeah that's a good point that's why she went to talk to him yeah at the is is to ask him about that that's that's good that you remember it we watched (laughs) this less than a week ago and i'm already kind of like forgetting some of the details on it anyways um so they sleep together again, like multiple times because like it kind of like t- a passage of time kind of thing. Yeah. And then she wants to do like a spell with him or something later on. Right. Yeah. Because it needs a couple people. Type yeah. Thing. Some, yeah. Some weird spell that needs a couple people. 
Is that uh, to get the daughter to come back? I think that I think that is why, if I remember right. This movie was confusing, yeah. okay? <laughs> and like, um, because he's naked on the ground, like sleeping, kind of. Yeah. And wakes up seeing her performing the spell at some point. Yeah, and kind of like starts making fun of her and stuff. Yeah. Making her feel bad. <laughs> Because, like, throughout this whole movie, we don't know if, like, the magic is actually working or not. Yeah. And we're kind of questioning, is she actually a witch? Is she not? Yeah, and that, and that's something that kind of runs through both of these films. Um, but anyways, uh, so I think that the guy leaves after the weird witchcraft stuff, if I remember right. Yeah, and we kind of jumped over a part I do want to talk about. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, because like when she starts getting to like the witchcraft stuff, um, she kind of like goes into town to buy stuff, and then that's when the song "Season of the Witch" yeah. comes on by yep. Donovan. Donovan, yep. yep. Donovan. Yep. So there's a whole sequence there, and that's a really good song. Yeah, it is a good song. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, somewhere along the line, he leaves. I'm pretty sure she leaves all of her weird witchcraft stuff downstairs. Yeah, and. She goes back upstairs and like she goes to sleep and she starts having that dream again. Again, this is big spoiler <laughs> uh, for anybody that is even a little bit interested in seeing this film. But um, so she goes upstairs, starts having this this the same dream where this guy wearing the weird mask is breaking into her house. And I don't know if it's in the dream or what, but like she like. Yeah, in the dream, she, like, grabs a shotgun yep. and then goes downstairs. And then you see, like, outside of the dream and the husband is wa- – her husband is walking to the door and, like, grabs onto the door to open it. And right as he opens it, she's there pretty much in her sleep and she shoots the husband thinking it's the demon in her dream. Yep. And so maybe there's there's probably some symbolism there too. I'm sure. Because how she's, like, all, like – kind of like cowering in fear of uh, the demon the entire time. And then she rises up to kill it and it is her husband. You yeah. Know? And probably some symbolism there from George Romero. But yeah, who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, Joe, do you have like any like scenes or anything like that in particular that you kind of wanted to talk about here? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, one of the like when we kind of talked about it a little bit so far, but like when the she was performing that one spell and the guy's like naked on the floor and stuff and she's like trying to summon oh i think it was summoning a demon or something because like that's when that cat shows up and you're kind of questioning could that cat be a demon or is it just a cat that gets into the house yeah yeah because right. the d- demon might be doing something yeah because it wasn't even a black cat or anything yeah, like that. yeah I, I do i do remember it kind of jumping up and her seeing it yeah so there's always small things like that that <laughs> kind of make you question like why is a cat showing up is it just a random cat or is it actually something <laughs> yeah so um yeah i i i don't really know what to think about this movie all i will say is that there was one scene that i thought was really interesting okay and i think it kind of sums up kind of the theme of both of these movies so george romero as anybody that is a fan of of his knows is kind of uh, how do i want to say this i don't necessarily want to say cynical because i don't know if that's the right word for it but like he likes to take any kind of mysticism out of most of his films and scripts and stuff like that oh yes so like for instance the zombies from night of the living dead the thing that makes them so different and maybe this is blasphemous for saying, 
But I feel like the thing about it is like he had like the whole idea of zombies and was like, what if I took all the mysticism out of that? And so he kind of like made it so you don't necessarily know if it's a virus or what it is. But instead of having all like the voodoo and stuff that's associated with the zombies originally, it's kind of like just like I don't know why this is happening exactly. Like you interpret it. But it's probably not what you think, yeah. kind of thing, or not not what you've been told as far as the mysticism goes. And this movie does a great job of that. Where uh, I was kind of mentioning before how they were having that party, and the uh, professor Greg was talking again about how like with voodoo, uh, the only reason it works is because both of them kind of believe in it, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then he goes, "Here, check out this experiment." And he takes a cigarette and he wraps it up like it's a joint. And when uh, one of Joan's friends comes in, the one that I mentioned before they were taking home, he goes, here, watch this. She's going to, I'm going to tell her this is a joint and watch what happens. So he like lights the joint and she, or the the cigarette, you know, and she starts smoking it and she starts acting all like loopy and funny and stuff. Kind of like she's high. And she believes that she's high pretty much just because they told her that's what it was. Yep. And when as you're watching the movie, again, like, it never straight up tells you Joan is a witch. Like, she's trying to do all this witchcraft stuff, but it could easily be explained away. Like, for instance, you know, how she was, like, trying to get that guy to come on to her. Or not come on to her, but to, like, want to sleep with her, even though he was already trying to come on to her before yeah and then she she winds up calling him and so it's kind of like she it seems like she believes the reason that happened is because she believes in the whole witchcraft thing but it's kind of up to you to decide you know but like it's probably more likely that she isn't a witch yeah if that makes sense which like and this is kind of getting into the last parts of the film is like it's another party or whatever and Everyone's oh, yeah, like yeah. talking about her, like, oh, she's a witch and stuff. But then it ends, what was her husband's name? Uh, Jack. Yep. Yeah. And then it ends with someone saying, oh, that's Jack's wife. So, yeah. So she's like basically getting control of her life. But then right at the end, she's called Jack's wife. Yeah. You can tell it kind of triggers her a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And that kind of goes back to the whole feminism ideal type thing out of this. Which I'm sure back in 1971 or 72 when, you know, whenever this film was originally released was probably pretty extreme. But from today's standards, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's too extreme yeah. as far as that goes, but it's and, interesting. And I guess in a commentary for another the one crazies. of yep, yep. the crazies in 2002, I guess this is one of his only films that he would have liked to have remake. He cited lack of money as a reason of, for unhappiness with the production. And the budget I, back then was estimated at $90,000. Yeah. Which isn't like a ton ton, but for back then. I, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder what he would have done with the film. Like, if he wanted a bigger budget, like, do you think he would have gone more all out on the spells and stuff? Maybe. Like, but... possibly showing some, like, I don't know. Some kind of like witchcraft, like some like, witchcraft stuff. If anything, the dream sequences <laughs> might have been a little different too. That's a good point. Yeah, because I feel like it would, like you, 
as I was saying before, if it were, were to lean more on the witchcraft stuff, like show more of the spells and stuff, I feel like that would kind of almost take away from the movie. Yeah. It, like it would almost kind of be counterproductive to the script because the script is really about making you ask yourself, you know, is what she's doing really, you know, like, is, is she really truly a witch kind of thing? Like you <laughs> think of, um, I, which I, I don't know if you, you read this also, but I read somewhere that supposedly while they were filming this movie, uh, 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 what's her name? Jan white, the woman that played Joan Mitchell on the film, uh, when there's a scene where I think she's talking to her, either talking to her husband or talking to, uh, Greg and she goes, I am a witch and supposedly like a big crack like happened on the ceiling and I want to say like some stuff like some plaster fell out of the ceiling or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess scared some of the crew and stuff at the time <laughs> but I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting definitely <coughs> excuse me so all right do we have anything else we want to say about this um, movie I I think we'll wait for what our full thoughts are after we talk about Martin yes yeah, so. yeah, sounds good yeah so I will say that the season of the witch walked so Martin could run. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Many of the concepts, well, pretty much the whole concept is explored in Martin. And in my opinion, to a, a much more effective degree. But we'll get into that later, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So uh, Martin came out in 1977. That's what I have. There might have been some <laughs> yeah, stuff. There, yeah. Uh, again, 1977 is what... I read, uh, let me see here. I I also heard 1978. And like going back to season of the witch real quick, that was like what his fourth film or. Okay. So yeah, there's there's night of the living dead. There's always vanilla. Yeah. That might've been his third. Okay. Maybe that, maybe there was another Uh, one. I think the crazies came out the same around the same year. 74. I want to say. Because I saw a 73 also. Oh, so man. that's why I was like, because I looked into his filmography. These things are not well documented. Yeah. So it came around the same time, so I didn't know which one came first. Yeah. So third, fourth, second. Not a second, because that would be the one. Either way, an early film. Yeah. And I think Martin kind of shows, that came out in 1977, that he kept growing as a filmmaker. Yeah, definitely. Um and whether, you know, again, we've seen 77, we've seen 78, all that you really need to know, like to kind of put this into perspective of George Romero's career is that Martin came out, it was this film that came out right before Dawn of the Dead. And I think that's why this one kind of gets pushed down yeah. is everyone was like, well, of course, like freaking out of Dawn, for Dawn of the Dead, yeah. like the kind of unofficial sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. All that. So as that one grew, this one kind of just became more obscure, yeah. I think. Well, and I, I think that when it came out, I think Martin didn't do very well. I think that's actually kind of why uh, Romero went to Dawn of the Dead is because I think there was a, I want to say there was a lot of pressure on him before to do Dawn of the Dead. And kind of what I read is that with this producer, I can't remember his name, but it's uh, with the producer of both Martin and Dawn of the Dead, the producer was like, yeah, like make a dead sequel. Like that'll that'll be huge. And he's like, "Oh, no, 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 no. I want to do this film." And he did Martin. And then he's like, "Okay. 
That didn't do so hot. I guess I'll do a dead, or I'll do a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. See, I don't know how I want to feel about that because I love Dawn of the Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. So absolutely. like, sure, I would have loved Mario to do better, but that might have changed things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I don't know where he would have went if he was like, oh, I can leave the Dead series behind. Like I, or... I feel like, I feel like a happy medium for me would be if Martin got a good release now. And got the recognition it deserves because this is like, I mean, I'd say it, I, I love George Romero. Dawn of the Dead's my favorite film of all time. Romero's one of my favorite directors of all time. He's definitely in my top five directors of all time. Oh, definitely. And Martin is probably in my top four or five, I'd say. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, I think it's a really good movie. Also, it was uh, George Romero's favorite one of his own films. Yes, I thought like I wish he was still alive so we could like talk to him about Martin because I yeah. and Season of the Witch because I'd be curious on some stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyways, so we talked about how Season of the Witch had a estimated budget of ninety thousand. Martin, from what the sources I had, the estimated budget was eighty thousand. Oh, so a little less. Yeah, so supposedly ten thousand less, but it it doesn't make any sense to me because there's, like, I mean, there's not. Like, Martin isn't exactly like a huge effects movie, but there's a lot more effects in it. Yeah. As as compared to, uh, season of the witch, but I don't know. So so what do we, do we want to talk about uh, Martin a little bit? Yeah, let I'll read the yeah. Kind of syn- Synopsis, what it was kind of about and stuff yeah. from IMDb. A young man who believes himself to be a vampire goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin in a small Pennsylvania town where he tries to redeem his blood craving urges. Yep. So. See, and like, uh, I didn't get through all of it, but I watched a review from Red Letter Media. Oh, yeah. And uh, shout out to them. They thought it. Uh, because of the one guy, he seems more like an uncle almost than Kuda. a cousin. Or, or he is the uncle, yeah. He's he, a cousin. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Which, for some people, I kind of understand. <laughs> but for me, most of my first cousins are a lot older than me. So like, okay. but the second cousins are about my age. I see. So for me, it didn't like, but like, I didn't see anything about yeah. it. But most people kind of see. Him being older is kind of weird. Okay, yeah, well, because when I first watched it, I thought it was just... I was like, is this his grandpa? <laughs> and then, uh, so, in my mind, for whatever reason, I was thinking, oh, uncle's kind of in between cousin and grandpa, I guess. But yeah, it's yeah. his cousin, yeah. Yep. That's true. And so, uh, this, this film has a little bit more kind of like meat to it, so I don't think we'll get too far into the story, kind of just go over some basic outlines. But essentially... We start off with Martin going to live with his cousin, uh, Kuda, his name. Uh, and Martin, who is played by uh, John Amphlis, who is also in a handful of other George Romero, uh, yeah, George Romero movies. Yeah. Um, he's one of the bikers on Dawn of the Dead. One of the He was one of the military guys in Day of the Dead, I believe, right? Or was he one of the scientists? I think he was one of the military guys. I think so. And then... He was, uh, I think I, I may have mentioned this on the Vampire, uh, round, King of the Vampires round three, but he was also on Creep Show. Uh, there's a that zombie type skeleton guy, yeah, who's uh, on the Father's Day 
opening uh, uh, segment of the movie. And that was actually played by him. You wouldn't know it because you can't see him. Yeah, but, but that was a cool scene. So. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the, one of the coolest scenes on that movie. And that movie's full of cool scenes. Yeah. But uh, anyways, John Amplis, uh, who's playing Martin, is kind of heading over to go live with his uh, cousin, Kuda. And while they're, he's on the train, you kind of see him like start to look around. And he goes over to the door where a woman is staying and he kind of does he doesn't knock i know does, does he like listen to the door or does he like pick it i can't he remember. does pick the lock he does they pick get the in. Lock. okay so he picks the lock and it keeps cutting back to this old black and white footage that kind of shows martin going after like this woman it, almost in like victorian era yeah it looks like this is one of those things where it's like is this a memory or yeah. is this him imagining exactly or like is it him imagining it is it him romanticizing things that he's done in the past yeah exactly so anyways so anyways he he gets in there and he's got like this like almost romantic notion of what he has done in the past or what he's about to do and he goes in there and you just hear a toilet flush <laughs> Uh, and the woman walk out and I'm pretty sure she has like a face mask on yes. or something like that. Uh, you know, like one of the like skincare face masks and he starts, he, he has this syringe full of some kind of drug and he injects the woman with that, but it doesn't really put her out right away. She's kind of fighting with him. Yeah. And the entire time she's like, what are you doing? Like all this <laughs> stuff. And he's like, oh, just, just, you know, it'll all be over soon. That kind of thing. And, Eventually she passes out and you see him pull out this razor and he cuts her wrist and you just see like the blood just splatter on him. Yeah. They're both, he, he's takes off his clothes. She's naked at this point and he kind of like, just like drinks the blood out of her wrist. And so that kind of sets you up for the kind of vampire that Martin is. He's not your typical, you know, blade, uh, uh, sharp, fangs kind of vampire that seduces the woman and then sucks her blood no like he kind of like has to fight them inject them with this drug and then cut their wrist in order to drink their blood yeah and one thing and we'll probably get into this a little bit more in some other scenes he needs a stronger like sedative yeah he does yeah it takes (laughs) forever for the people to pass out yeah (laughs) you see it seems like he gets into more trouble then than any other time like you know trying to do that yeah and so you see Martin and kind of fast forward a little bit. He meets up with his cousin, Kuda, and Kuda kind of like takes him back to his house and kind of like walks him upstairs, shows him his room. And he goes, you are Nosferatu. <laughs> like all this, all this stuff about how he's a, like a vampire and stuff. He's like, yeah, tomorrow you start working at my shop and uh, my, like, you will see your cousin which I believe her name was Christine, if I remember right. Uh, but anyways, like you'll you'll see your your cousin, and you're not to talk to her. She will try to talk to you, but don't talk to her. <laughs> and like it's just weird. Yeah. Like it just like throws you in almost because you you see him do what he does, and then like well as he's walking over to the house with his cousin, like they're not saying a word to each other. Nope, it's awkward. Yeah, and then he just goes off on him when he gets home. Yeah, and like if you notice in the home, like there's garlic hanging up at the uh, door. All the doors. There's crosses. Yeah. Which 
which brings us to a great scene. One of my favorite scenes in a movie that's full of really good scenes. And uh, so the guy kind of like Kuda says all this stuff and then he walks into his room and shuts the door. And then Martin just gets like angry and he runs downstairs and he uh, or not. He, yeah, he runs downstairs to where the cousin's room is. And again, there's the garlic on there and he shoves the door open, grabs the garlic the cousin gets all freaked out and holds up a crucifix <laughs> and Martin is like in his face yelling, there's no such thing as magic. This, this doesn't work. There's no such thing as magic. And he takes a bite out of the garlic and spits it out and then grabs the, the crucifix and like kind of pushes it on his face. And he's like, there's no magic in this world. And uh, again, that just kind of reemphasizes the whole kind of like, uh, What's the word we're looking for? Concept of season of the witch. I feel like that yeah. kind of passes on through here. Yep, and that shows up <laughs> and later on in the film too, where he's like, "No magic." Yeah, and th- that's kind of like just something that is always going on. So, anyways, uh, Martin begins delivering groceries for his cousin because Kuda has like a grocery store type thing. Yeah, and they do deliveries. Yeah, so he's walking around delivering groceries which is kind of a good opportunity for him because he's kind of able to like look at the different his potential victims yeah so, uh meets a woman i can't remember her name i can't either but she's essentially like a lonely housewife and she goes oh here i have to go somewhere anyways i'll drive you back to the store and so she's driving and he doesn't say like anything the entire ride as she vents to him kind of. Yeah, like Martin as a character, like he's kind of awkward, but he seems pretty innocent. Yeah, exactly. That's that's great. Yeah, he's very innocent, very awkward. Like it's like he has the appearance of like a young adult or teenager. Yeah. And he he reminds me of like like a teenager kind of thing. Uh, at least how I was as a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. pretty unsure of myself kind of trying to figure out everything and i wasn't the most quiet as a teenager but like sometimes i got in situations that were really awkward where i just was just like martin just kind of sit there in the car and not say a word you know yeah but remember he's 85 years old he said 84 84 84. there we go yep so anyways and really like this this movie we'll, we'll get into it more as we go along i'm sure but it just feels like, it just feels so sad. So yeah. again, like she's, she's venting to him. You can't really ter- tell if he cares or not. He's just kind of <laughs> like sitting there kind of like, do, 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 do. And, uh, eventually she gets him back and he comes back home and he meets his cousin, Christine. Yep. So at first, as you may remember, he's not really talking to her. Yeah, kind of thing. it's he's, awkward. Yeah, she she's like talking to him and he's just not saying a word, I think, because he remembers what Kuda said to yeah, him. Yeah, and she's just trying to be nice and talk to him. Yeah, and uh, so eventually they do kind of start talking. Yep. Um, I'll try to keep this brief, only the highlights. <laughs> but uh, anyways, pretty, pretty soon after, like I think I want to say when he comes home, she's like preparing dinner, either preparing dinner or washing dishes, doing some kind of house whole task but anyways she eventually does cook for them and uh this uh her boyfriend comes in 
Arthur is his name. Yep. Played by the one and only Tom Savini. Yes. Who also did special effects on this film as well. Mm-hmm. So, and he does a good acting job. He does do a really good acting job. Yeah, I, I wish that he was in more acting roles. Yeah. Because, I mean, I can think of, like, From Dusk Till Dawn, but... And and I guess he acts a little bit in Dawn of the Dead, a little bit in Land of the Dead, uh, but usually it's really small roles. Yeah. <laughs> um, But anyways, so you meet him. I want to say that when they go to bed that night, Martin goes out and he, like, kills somebody else and drinks their blood, if I remember right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, anyways, same same thing. Um, And then eventually... Martin, because his uncle or cousin, sorry, his cousin could have told him that he had to go out of time, out of town to feed. He's like, yeah, you can't like feed in town. And so he goes out of town and he like eventually sees this woman who uh, he's kind of like stalking yeah, a little bit. And her husband later on like leaves for like some business trip or something. Yeah. Uh- before we get too much into that scene, like uh, he goes up to the house with a note saying he's deaf and oh, asks right. for money. Yeah. And the p- father's just like, oh, I only give to like organizations. And the lady's like, he can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. That was a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he's like, I, I thought he said he like wanted help or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, I, I, am... I thought that was supposed to be his way in the house. Is yeah. He's like, thinking. I'm deaf and I need help. That's all the note says. Yeah. Like if someone handed me that, I'd be like calling somebody. Like you need help that yeah. way. I, I would. I guess I don't know back then if people actually did that or not. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, so eventually, the husband leaves, and he waits till till the night time to go into the house. And this is when we see Martin's just coupe de grace, <laughs> where he just is as graceful as can be. So, Joe, do you want to set up the scene since I've set up most other ones? Okay. Leading into how he gets in the house, though, is he got a remote oh, yep. garage, garage door, door opener, opener yep. which they must have been pretty simplistic back then, I'm guessing, because <laughs> he was able to just get a... Yeah, just buy one from the store. Yeah, so that's how he gets over. into the house. And <laughs> so he, he gets into the house. He's at their, like, bedroom. Oh, Or do we want... Oh, I, th- I thought before that he, like... Got got in there, and the girl like thought something was going on. Oh in the yeah, garage. she thought her husband was back, so she comes so, out and, and checks. So he's he's like hiding and stuff. Yeah, so kind of hides. She goes back in the house. Everything's fine. He grabs his stuff, starts going in. G- gets his uh, blade ready. Gets yeah. his uh, the that syringe. drug ready. Yep, the, yep. With the syringe. And he opens up her bedroom, <laughs> <laughs> and there's another guy there. Yeah, so essentially this woman is having an affair and the other guy kind of gets freaked out and is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, like, you know, let's let's be calm about this. You know, we we let's let's talk this over." Yeah. And the woman's like, "I I don't know him." <laughs> like she's like, "I don't know who that is. That's not my husband." And the guy's like, "Whoa, wait, what?" Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like just like the confusion that turns into terror. Like a man, <laughs> and Martin, yeah, like he <laughs> says, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah, oh yeah, that, that is the line that he says. Yeah, he just looks at him. He's like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and, guy, and that's when the guy's like, oh, hold on, you know, let, let let's be calm about this. <laughs> uh, and 
I'm trying to remember. Does he inject the guy? Yeah, the first, first he jumps over the bed basically and stabs the guy. And the and guy's injects like, him. Yeah. yeah, injects him, and the guy's like, "What is? What was that?" Yeah, and so then Martin takes off running, and he runs downstairs, and the the guy is like freaking out. They're both kind of looking for him. Yeah, and the guy is like yelling to the lady, "You need to call nine one one." Oh yeah, and she's like, "I can't call nine one one. You're like, you're not supposed to be here." Yeah. So she's kind of like repeating Martin's line. <laughs> um, and uh, I want to say, she. I know that she decides to call somebody. Is she, what's she trying to call? Like poison control or? Well, um, she's trying to call directly to a hospital. But okay. she, because she gets a number from the operator, but then she's like, when she's freaking out and she can't really remember it. Too yeah, well. and Martin keeps foiling her calls because there's a phone downstairs. Yeah, so she'll start like, kind of pushing some of the different uh, keys to like call, and then he'll just be downstairs and start just like hitting a bunch of the different buttons. Yeah, and we, I don't know, do we have to describe this for a younger generation? Like, because like cell phones. Yeah. Like at home phones, you can only make one phone call. Like, yes, there were multiple phones in a house yeah, sometimes but they, they were all connected to the same line yes and well unless you had like split lines but most most people didn't yeah, have that especially back then yeah so i want to say there's three phones in the house yeah because there's one in the kitchen and one in like the room right next to the kitchen because yeah. they're talking to each other and then the guy figures out do you have another phone in this house and that's when he goes down to the basement yeah and so i don't remember how but like somehow martin gets the guy outside and kind of like Locks him out. Yep. I want to say that he injects the lady with uh, the, what's it called? The yep. drug. Whatever drug. And, and and he's like, the entire time he's like talking to her and he's like, he's like, don't worry. This is like, you're going to be safe. He wasn't supposed to be here. So I'm, I'm like, you, you'll wake up later is essentially what he's saying to her. Yeah. Which I was kind of confused about when I was watching, but then it makes sense later. So eventually, like the guy gets in, he... I want to say he unlocks the door so he, he can get in, but he, like, hides. And then he injects him again Yeah. with that drug. Because, like, this drug takes a while, like, on females, and that guy was, like, a bigger guy. He was, yeah, yeah. So, like, a lot it, more muscle mass. And yeah, stuff. so it probably would take more drug. And the question, I saw in the comment section of where I watched this, and um, someone was like, if he's drugging these people and drinking their blood, would he be affected by that drug? Oh, yeah, getting the blood in his own system? Yeah, I because I don't really know what he's using, but I'm kind of curious if that's possible. I, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Or if he is a vampire, then it wouldn't affect him, maybe. Yeah. So, anyways, eventually the guy falls, and Martin takes him out into the woods. Does he get him, Does he get him naked, too? I'm trying to remember. Well... I know he's already kind of, he doesn't have a shirt yeah, he's, on. Yeah, he's only wearing like I don't think he's fully naked, but yeah, just boxers or some Maybe pajam- some pants or something. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. Um but yeah, so he takes him out into the woods and he's like, You weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> this is kind of freaking out on him. And then uh cuts him up and starts drinking. Yeah, he like takes a stick and stabs oh, him. Oh yeah, in the neck. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, he just like jabs it in his neck and that shot goes on for a little bit longer to where it's uncomfortable and you see him like kind of like moving the stick around in his neck yeah um anyway so i think he's more careful with like the women yeah because like with that guy and with some other people he just goes brutal on them yeah and it, it kind of like you kind of start to see it that he kind of it's getting a little bit sloppier as the movie goes along 
too. Yeah. Like, the first time he does it, I mean, he's already not exactly the most graceful at it, but he kind of yeah. gets the job done, but it's getting kind of worse and worse. Well, and, like, throughout this, uh, he starts calling into, like, a radio station. Oh, I love that, yeah. Yeah, I really like this. And he talks about how, he, like, this process has gotten easier since he started using the needles, injecting people. Yeah. I love the guy, the nickname that the uh, DJ gives him to the count yeah. as if he's called him the whole time. Um, and so anyways, uh, amidst all of this, I should have mentioned before, but uh, Christine, the, the, his, I, I guess it would have been like a second cousin or whatever. Yeah. It's something like, um, but the younger one that uh, uh, Kuda had told him not to be interacting with. Anyway, she, she's like, oh, I don't believe what Kuda says about you. Like, and she kind of talks about how, like, the entire family kind of believes in this whole thing of, the like, this whole legend of the vampire. Yeah, the, the, the Kuda kind of, like, goes into detail a little bit with her. Like, he has a book of pictures. Yeah, and it's kind of, like, talking to her about how he's 84 years old and all this stuff. And so it kind of makes you ask the question as it's going on. Is he like truly a, you know, vampire in the traditional sense where he has no choice, but to drink the blood or is it just the kind of thing where it's just been reinforced in his mind so many times that, yeah, you're a vampire from like his own upbringing, his own family to where just like with the witch, you know, in season of the witch where it's just like, Oh, it only works because both of you believe it. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's like, is it just self-fulfilling prophecy in the case of, martin as well um and i i think that's a very interesting dynamic definitely but uh anyways in the midst of all this martin finds love <laughs> so i should have mentioned i guess we should have mentioned before it's kind of implied that martin is probably like raping the women yeah when, when he uh either as or before or after he drinks of their blood yeah and he kind of talks to the radio host about yeah, that too. he does yeah and so he kind of martin kind of i don't know if love is the right word exactly but he starts like having an affair with that woman that gave him a ride home earlier in the movie um that is kind of like the lonely housewife type character and i remember there's a line or a part where he's talking to the radio dj and he's talking about or the DJ's like, have you ever, you know, like, had sex before? And he's just like, well, sort of, but never without, like, feeding kind of thing. And he's just yeah, like... Not... because they're always asleep yeah, know, because it, of being drugged. Yeah, and so, like, like <laughs> I feel like Romero, one of his biggest achievements with this movie, whether, you know, I mean, they're, in this movie, again, I really enjoyed this movie, but one of the things that he does best... Is he makes Martin somehow still like commit these terrible, terrible acts, whether you believe he's a vampire or not. Like yeah. this whole thing of him going around, uh, putting women to sleep, raping them, and then drinking their drinking blood. their blood, and and you pretty much assume that they die, that they bleed out yeah. from from this. And because that's why I was kind of wondering, because like. He's like, oh, you'll wake up, be fine, everything. But I was like, how he cut some of those women? Yeah, <laughs> they're probably gonna bleed out. Yeah, and um, I, again, like, 
like you you still feel bad for him somehow though in the midst of all this like he's still a likable character yeah it kind of probably goes back to like because he grew up with like this crazy yeah possibly crazy we don't fully know if he is a vampire or not yeah but like they treat him well he certainly believes that he yeah is. yeah and they've treated him pretty poorly yeah and and like i i think in that red letter media uh thing that uh, a video that you mentioned before i've i've seen that as well i saw it a while ago but i want to say that one of the per, one of the people that's talking on that video brings up he's like He's like, yeah, whether or not he's a vamp, like a true vampire, like, does it really even matter at that point? Like, what he's doing is still just terrible. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. But, again, somehow you still, I don't know if root for him is the right phrase, but, like, you still care about him. Or mm-hmm. I, I did at least. I don't know if that's simply because you see most of the events of the film through his eyes kind of thing. Like, like it's from his perspective. And so you might care for him more. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. So anyways, uh, it's been about a week since I saw this movie. So I'm starting to get a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> but so he starts this relationship with this woman. I want to say he kind of stops drinking blood too, for the most part. Yeah. He? he goes a while without drinking blood because he talks to the radio host about, oh, he's, um, kind of, I don't know, fallen in love kind of thing. Yeah. And he's gotten used to like having sex consensually. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, he starts feeling that urge again. Yeah. Eventually. Well, I should, I shouldn't go too far because before he starts feeling that urge again, there's this phenomenal scene. Again, another one of Romero's, uh, in my opinion, best scenes from a film. I, I, I love that, uh, you know, home invasion scene that we had mentioned before where the the whole you weren't supposed to be here mm-hmm. that, that's probably in my opinion the best scene of this film but probably the a close second would be where uh there's just this foggy night and out of nowhere kuda i want to say he's like walking alone and out of nowhere martin comes out and he's wearing a cape and he's his face is all pale yep he has the teeth and everything yep, the, the plastic teeth and he's like pretty much like chasing Kuda around trying to scare him and stuff. And then uh, Kuda is like just terrified of him. And then he, Mar- Martin just takes out the fake teeth and he throws them on the ground and he's like, there's no such thing as magic. See? And we kind of jumped over a little bit apart with the oh, priests. Oh, you're right. Dude, I'm all jumbled up on this. Movie. <laughs> because uh, they, get uh pull martin church because they're a catholic family Mm -hmm. and stuff and the church kind of is needs rebuilding whatever but uh yeah they decide to have supper with the pastor the the new priest yeah yeah. and um who is so so the the new priest is named father howard yeah and he is played by none other than george romero himself and probably from what I've seen at least, and from what I understand, probably like his longest on-screen like dialogue. Yeah. I mean, there, there's many other times where you see cameos with George Romero, but this is like the longest time that you see him like on-screen, kind of like talking and stuff. See, and if you're not used to seeing like a younger Romero, I definitely recommend seeing this film. Yeah, because like I didn't recognize him right away, <laughs> but I saw in the credits who he was and realized it. 
So I thought that was really cool. And his dialogue, he talks about the exorcist. Yeah, yeah, briefly. Yeah, he he, he kind of goes on this conversation where Kuda is talking to him and he goes, yeah, what do you like? What do you think about demons and uh, ghosts and all this kind of stuff? I don't think that Kuda mentions vampires specifically. No, just kind of like demons and which is kind of an interesting conversation because that is kind of a conversation in the church sometimes. It's yeah. like the older priests, a lot of times, whatever your beliefs are, they yeah. believe in demons while some of the younger ones don't believe as much. Well, and, and not only that, but like, especially kind of building on that, there's a big discussion about like exorcisms, for instance, like de- demonic possession. Yes. Like, like, I'd say that most like people and especially like you know as somebody that's you know like a christian myself a pretty devout christian like i know that there are most people would like look at something and be like yeah sure there were there was like demon possession in biblical times but not really today and then there's you know another group that would say oh no like back then it was probably some kind of mental instability or something like that and they just didn't recognize it back then and now today we do recognize it. Um, but either way, it kind of appears that Romero is probably in that second camp that I mentioned. Yep. Where he's kind of like, like kind of like laughing about it, kind of. And yeah. I, I think that he was, like, his character at least was trying not to be too, like, rude about it. Yeah, he was like, he kind of pawns him off to a different yeah, place. Yeah, he's, he's like, oh yeah, the, like most of the older guys kind of believe in that kind of stuff why, why don't you talk to or have you talked to father or whatever about this you should go talk to father whatever yeah he's like have you seen the exorcist <laughs> the father who said that is an inaccurate film but it's a good film yeah he's like but i thought it was just phenomenal and <laughs> he just goes and starts talking about the exorcist so i'm wondering i'm guessing george romero probably had like a love for the exorcist oh, or I something bet. which yeah. i think is pretty awesome that he put that in his movie yeah definitely and um i've i've heard some people say that that one scene with, you know, George Romero in it himself is kind of supposed to be almost like his thesis statement about not only this film, but about like his own like personal beliefs as far as, again, like as far as like spirituality or mysticism type thing goes. Mm -hmm. Again, like you see that kind of the curtain of mysticism as far as like the mysticism behind a witch or the mysticism behind a vampire. And again, as I had kind of mentioned before, even somewhat the mysticism of like the zombie is yeah. kind of pulled away in most of his films, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. So with this lead into like the new or uh, like this priest, the older one that believes in these demons and yeah. stuff, they Doing try an exorcism. Yeah. And then it kind of does this like the flashback to like a time where. I don't know if it's this like, has apparently happened to him before. Yeah, or if he's imagined it, but yeah, it kind of flashes back and forth between reality and whatever that those black scenes and white are. Scenes are. Which I guess George Romero wanted to do this whole film in yeah, black and white. I heard that before. And yeah. then the producer was like, "That probably won't do so well." But I feel like in this one instance, the producer was probably right because those black and white scenes like. That contrast just really makes this movie feel just even a notch more artistic. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, so, kind of going on, I swear we're almost to the end of the movie here. <laughs> um, uh, I th- does he go out and try to, like, drink the blood of a homeless man or something like that? Yeah. Is that what it is? 
um because like right after the exorcist scene it goes into the vampire where he's actually yeah, dressed, dressed up, up and, like, and like scaring kuda yep but then yeah he starts getting that urge and i think he talks to the radio host about like needing to go out basically and the radio guy's like we better watch out tonight the count's going out yeah and so he he goes out and again as i kind of mentioned before he's getting sloppier and sloppier and uh the a, a policeman winds up seeing him well um because he uh attacks the homeless guys and knocks them out and starts yep. drinking one of their blood but for some reason every time he does this he needs to like change his clothes yeah and that he breaks into like a I don't know if it's a pawn store, like a Goodwill type. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So the, Thrift shop type thing. Yeah, so like the alarm's going off while he's changing clothes and then the officer. Yeah, and then there's this interesting scene where he's running away from the officer. I want to say backup comes. Yep, there's so a couple officers There's, there's a couple them. officers, and he goes into like this warehouse where there's these guys playing cards, and you kind of like get the idea that they're like part of the mafia or something like yeah, that there's because like the cr- cops <laughs> yeah criminal underground because the one guy's like oh it's just a kid you guys and but they're already like running off some of them yeah and then the cop shows up and gunfire the, there's a shootout yeah. yeah i was not expecting that to go down like that i, was, but. I wasn't either yeah and so eventually martin gets out of that uh that's because everyone pretty much gets shot or yeah. the cops have been shot uh the living couple people might have ran off, but yeah, Martin's able to run off. Yeah. And, uh, so eventually, um, this is skipping forward a little bit. There's this great scene where his cousin, you're getting cl- kind of close to the end of the movie. And there's some like pretty touching scenes. I feel like in this part. So first off, Christine is telling Kuda that she's leaving. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting out of this town. I'm leaving with Arthur. And she's like, you know, I'm probably not going to marry him. I'm probably not going to bear any children from him. He's just my way out. Yeah. Is what she says to him, which is a very, I, I feel like, poignant scene. Well, and also uh, kind of throughout the film, uh, it's kind of implied that there's not a lot of jobs around this area yeah. or at least good paying ones. And I think it, I'm guessing it was filmed in Pittsburgh because they say it's Pittsburgh yeah. and that's George Romero's area. Yeah, where he most of his films are so i think kind of like bring up like the economy at that time and stuff so they want to get out of there yeah because i and i know that that church that they filmed that like i because when i saw that it did not look like a church to me i was thinking that it was like some like i was like oh they probably just that was the only area that would let them shoot and then i found out oh that actually was a church like just like the as you were saying, the economy was so bad. And I think it had like part of it had burnt down in a fire or something. Oh, wow. Not too long before that is what I read. So anyways, um, so Christine goes in to say goodbye to Martin and she's like, Oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm leaving, but like, I'll, I'll be, I'll think about you. And I don't know if she says she's going to visit him or anything, but she's like, I'll, I'll think about you. And he goes, yeah. no, you won't. She's like, what do you mean? And he's like, people, whenever they leave, they, they leave to forget about, you know, where they came from. They leave to forget about the past. You're not going to remember me. And, uh, anyway, so, so she leaves. I don't think, um, Martin and his lover ever like break up or anything like that. Do they? I don't think so. Uh, I know that they like have that talk where they're out kind of like, like on a hill kind of talking. Yeah. Like it's kind of sad what happens with her. Cause she ends up like, committing suicide 
Oh, I don't remember that. Because, like, he goes to her house, like, I think with the delivery, but he walks in and stuff. Then he, like, goes to the bathroom and she's, like, in the tub. Oh, you're right. Because, like, he's talking to the uh, radio host, like, I didn't do it and type. Yeah, like, he didn't I, kill yeah her. I, I remember that. Yeah, you're right. I was trying to remember what happened to her at the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and then Martin goes home. And then there's this really, I don't know. I don't know what you thought about it. I thought it was a very interesting scene. Uh, I guess it was just going to happen by happenstance. Like that just the right thing happened at the right time. But like Martin hears like music from like a marching band and he goes outside and there's like this parade going on mm-hmm. with like this marching band. And he kind of like, just like looks at him and kind of follows him around a little bit. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting, but it made for like a very unique scene, especially in this movie that's pretty like somber and stuff like you just see this marching band and he's just kind of like following him around mm-hmm. and then uh he goes back home goes to bed and uh is that's that's pretty much besides the very last thing that's yeah. pretty much i don't think i'm missing anything too important but as he's asleep kuda takes a stake and he drives it through martin's heart yeah which i guess it's kind of interesting because I think it's implied that uh, Kuda thought that he killed the one lady. Yeah. Yep. Which she actually committed suicide. Yeah. So, like, his downfall is actually something that he wasn't a part yeah. of. But yeah, because I was kind of confused because I was when I watched it, I was like, is he killing her because of that suicide? Or is he killing her because, like, just the other night he scared the crap out of him yeah. and kept, like, taunting him the, the entire film? Or, like, what's going on here? But, yeah, either way... Uh, and it's it's a really fantastic effect when he does kill him. Like he drives the stake through there, and just like blood just, whoosh, just oh, splatters all over. Yeah, Tom Savini really does his thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Martin. Yeah, uh, one of uh, one of if not the most underrated George Romero film, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I would definitely agree. There's still some out there that I need to watch. Yeah. But I don't know if they'll match up or not. Yeah, same here. And the the real disappointment for me, at least, is the fact that I watched. So I watched Martin, and then Joe and I were talking about watching Martin together. Yeah. And then we saw that season of The Witch was on some streaming service. I think it was Shutter. And so we're like, oh, let's just watch season of The Witch. And uh, yeah, so and that's kind of how this episode came about is because we saw. The witch, the, well, I, I'd seen Martin, kind of George Romero's interpretation of vampires, and then shortly after seeing Season of the Witch, yep, in his interpretation of the witch. So I was like, we should, uh, we should do do a video of this, or not a video, a uh, episode, Hidden Horrors, comparing the two. So Joe, is there anything else that you really want to say about uh, Martin? Out of curiosity, uh, I think I covered, and we both covered, kind of, yeah, it pretty well. So. Okay. I think we'll go through a couple questions here. Yeah. I think I've got probably the answer. I, th- I think I know the answer to all of them, but I, I, I still do want to kind of discuss them. <coughs> so first off, which one do you think had the better, I guess, interpretation of whatever they were trying or whatever Romero was trying to uh interpret whether it was his interpretation of witches or his interpretation of vampires okay um 
That's an interesting yeah. one. I, I, I guess I'll go first. Cause I, I feel like his interpretation of the witch was very grounded and probably exactly what he intended. I just don't think that it made for the most uh, entertaining movie, mm-hmm. personally. And I think that that's where the biggest difference between Season of the Witch and Martin is. Keep in mind, so Season of the Witch probably took a quarter of the time to explain, like the, you know explain what happened in the, the film as Martin did. But Martin also had a lot of dialogue. Like there's a lot of very slow moments where it's just kind of atmospheric, I guess you could say kind of like, just like giving you, I shouldn't necessarily say atmospheric, but it just kind of like gives you the mood that's going on again, a very sad mood. But uh, even though neither one of them has like a lot of dialogue and Neither one of them really has that much to do with either vampires or witches. I still feel like Martin's works out just a little bit more. Just because even if it isn't about like your traditional vampire, it's still about a serial killer rapist. Yeah. And somehow making that a sympathetic character. The 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 hard part with Season of the Witch is I feel like they didn't hardly Romero didn't hardly even make Joan a entertaining character, let alone a sympathetic character. Yeah. And that might sound kind of mean because I, all in all, I didn't dislike season of the witch. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Martin was such a strong film, especially compared to it. Oh yeah. I would agree with that. So with that said, but who I, I'd say Martin did it better as far as like having the more unique and effective interpretation. What, yeah. what, what about you? I would agree. Um, the actor, uh, what was his name, who played Martin? Uh, John Amplis. Yeah, John Amplis? I think he just does such a great go- uh, job with that character. Yeah, that he pulls it off. Yeah, and like again, like he's very quiet, he's very awkward, but he's also very endearing. Like he's supposed to be eighty-four years old, but at the still, like when you see him, you still see this, like just like this young adult slash teenager. Yeah, you know. And uh, it's weird because he's relatable. I've never been in his situation before. <laughs> Yet he's like somewhat relatable. Like you see him in moments that are like pretty sad, and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I can kind of empathize with him. Um, with that said, I do feel like Season of the Witch had a good. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A good, uh, I guess, message, if that makes sense. Okay. And like, even like after watching that movie, like with Martin, when you watch the film, you can kind of within like after watching it, you can kind of get what the whole film was about. Season of the Witch, like we were still like talking and being like, oh, maybe this meant that. Yeah. There's like messages and stuff. We're like, okay, that might be what he's going for. Yeah. And so that makes it interesting. But still, I I think Martin's the better as far as that goes. And like we said that both of these films were directed by George Romero, but they were also both written by him too. Yep, that's that's true, yeah. And so uh okay, with that said, um let me think here. Which which one do you think is the better Romero film, I guess? Well, like both of these films feel somewhat different than like his usual stuff, I would say, yeah. with, like, the... The zombies. Or... Yeah. But with both of them, 
I like the directions he kind of takes with those ideas. Yeah. Because they're really out there. Yeah, they're very unique. Yeah, especially with like Martin. I would never have thought of Vampire like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, what would a vampire do if they did not have the fangs and they were just a normal guy? Yeah, like no magic that like make the women want them or like the strength to overpower people. Yeah, or or even like, you know, because like a traditional vampire movie, when that cop goes after him, poof, turns into a bat and flies away. Yeah. Like with that, there's there's none of that. He's just a normal guy in pretty much every aspect. You kind of wonder if he's been alive for a lot longer than he looks like. But besides that, I mean, he's pretty normal. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's this. It's hard because whenever you're talking about Romero, it's hard not to think about the dead films. Yeah. It's kind of like thinking about George Lucas and trying to think about like his work outside of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like most people aren't thinking of Willow when they're thinking <laughs> about George Lucas uh, yeah. or, or Red Tails or any of his other films. Maybe Indiana Jones because he, he wrote those. But, yeah. But still, like you're not usually thinking of anything besides Star Wars usually when you're thinking about George Lucas. Same thing with George Romero. But with that said, I think that if... There was, if I had a friend or somebody that had never seen any of Romero's other works, and especially if it was between these two, I'd be far more likely to show them Martin. Yeah, if it was between these two, I'd definitely agree. Yeah. um, I think for, like, the completists, like, who are Romero fans, I'd say definitely watch both of them. Yeah, definitely. Watch them in the order, like, Season of the Witch, then Martin. Yeah. So you can kind of see where he was going yeah you can definitely see the progression of his narrative yeah um yeah i i agree with that uh i just i don't know like i do feel like if i had to say which one feels more like a romero film i would probably say martin anyways though only and this is very shallow but just (laughs) because of uh tom savini yeah uh you know is in it and he also did the special effects and then also an interesting fact i wish we would have gotten this cut here but in europe goblin did the soundtrack oh yeah that would have been interesting yeah so uh i feel like if we would have seen especially like the european version it would have it would have felt a lot more like a romero film yeah even though it already did if i ever decide to revisit this i'm looking for the european version (laughs) well and that's the thing so I mentioned on the King of the Vampires round three that this film is pretty much unattainable in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, like, it's there's a couple websites where you can stream it that are probably not the most legal. But, yeah. But besides that, it's completely out of print. I don't think it's there's been a release in like 15 years, if I'm not mistaken. And on top of that, if you do find one, it's going to run you... Th- Upwards of a hundred bucks easily. Yep. Uh, but I I found out that there is a European version that uh, I want to say Arrow was the company that kind of distributed it. But I I almost was tempted to g- try to get that, which I think it in you know USD it would have been like about forty bucks okay. to buy. But the thing is, you have to have a region two dvd player yeah in order um, to watch them they're actually uh i'm trying to think which company is putting it out if uh but is putting out a new dawn of the dead 
mm-hmm. version, and it, it's some of it will be region free, I think, but not yeah. all of it. So I might get like a region type, two. Yeah, yeah, some type of blue. There's you can go on like eBay and type in region free like Blu-ray players. Okay, and they're out there. The some of them range in prices, so I'm trying to look into the fine one that's actually kind of decent. But well, here we'll make a deal. I don't want to say this necessarily with too much confidence because if for whatever reason that Martin Arrow version goes up in price a lot, but if you get the DVD player, I will get Martin. Okay. Cause I was like, as horror fans, we should invest in that because there's been so many horror movie releases yeah. in like other countries that are region blocked in the U S yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. In the year 2020, there's still a region blocked content that yeah. amazes me. But, um, and that makes me, I don't want to get too off topic, but that makes me nervous about the Gamera, uh, you know, collection that's coming out Mm -hmm. because Arrow is, Arrow, the same company that uh, distributed Martin is distributing all the Gamera films. And I was very excited about that. And then now I'm like, oh wait, maybe Arrow is just like a European company or something. Because like, I know like basically with Blu-rays, there's not really region to them. So I think it'll be okay. But, it's mainly just DVDs. Yeah. But I'm not 100% because I saw some people talking about like how some of the Dawn of Zed stuff will be watchable while other parts might not be. So I'm not sure what discs or yeah. what they're doing. So anyways, uh, it's a shame. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it, you know, what's what I'm looking for? Hopefully Martin also gets, you know, put out. Yeah, in a, in a way that is attainable to Like, the it's US. been DVD released, but it hasn't had never. a Blu-ray. Yeah, never on Blu-ray. Yeah, so I don't know how much the producer is wanting, but... I've heard it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the exact number either, but I've heard that it's a lot of money in order... And the reason why not a lot of people have, you know, gone with it is simply because they don't think they can make that much money off of it. Yeah. I feel like if they milk the fact that it was a, not only a George Romero film, but George Romero's favorite of his films, I feel like you could almost be like, yeah, this is just like an, because o- it is an overlooked classic, but mm-hmm. you could go with that narrative of like, oh yeah, this is the first time. Well, not necessarily the first time, but like, this is like a rare opportunity yeah. to, to own this and watch it. All I can think of is like, if they could, because like DVDs sells and stuff are really down because of streaming. Sure. So they yeah. also have to get the streaming rights of some sort yeah. to go with it. But do like an all out, do something with the special features, pull in like maybe Tom Savini to do some commentary for the film yeah. and just like do a or bunch of, of the stuff. actors that are still alive. I'm pretty yeah. sure that John Amplis is still alive. Yeah. So it'd be awesome to hear from him and just really go all out, have a nice box set, throw in Night of the Living Dead. That's copy uh, or, or right even, or whatever. even like Dawn of the Dead, too. I'm sure that this would be an extremely expensive thing, but like I feel like. Dawn of the Dead is almost like a good movie to watch, you know, right after this. Well, Dawn of the Dead is a good movie to watch after anything. (laughs) Of course. But Dawn of the Dead is a great movie to watch after this because you, just like with Season of the Witch to Martin, you see how much Romero grows. Even, I wouldn't say more so with Martin and uh, Dawn of the Dead, but like you still see a lot of growth there. Yeah. Especially, uh, and it's weird too because Night of the Living Dead, a fantastic film. Great movie. And it's weird because it's almost like after Night of the Living Dead, like the movies 
weren't that great for a while and they kind of worked their way up to you know then their their season of the witch then a little bit after that then there's the crazies and they kind of start going up in quality until you get to martin and then dawn of the dead yep which is one of his best and then you know eventually you get into the 80s with creep show and day of the dead and just some other classics monkey shines oh yeah another great film um and so it's it's just interesting seeing that progression that that Romero had, but uh, anyways, uh, one more one more question that I I have re- related to. Uh, oh wait, did I already ask which which one? Oh no no I did not. Sorry, okay, <laughs> getting jumbled up. Here. Okay, so which one do you think? Which one of these two films do you think was a better representation of Romero's personal? Uh, philosophies as far as like mysticism and spirituality go okay well like in martin we get a little bit of that when he's playing the priest talking about that yep and like with season of the witch we get like a feminist message Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to interpret it yeah well well, i i mean i mean not only that but like the whole thing of like you know with like with her being like the witch and it just being like oh you believe that that's the case yeah but is it really the case mm-hmm. and kind of like opening that up and i feel like that is in both movies yeah i'm, I'm more of asking which one of those between the two do you think um represents that better because like i i have i have a hard time with it because as we mentioned before romero literally comes on camera on martin and pretty much tells you like his personal philosophy. Yeah. Like just lays it all out on the table. But season of the witch, I feel like, especially that scene that I had mentioned before where they're at that party and the woman thinks that she's smoking a joint, but it's actually a cigarette. And you see, like you almost see it happen in front of your eyes. And, and then it's just like, see, this is like essentially the message that we're trying to get across. Yeah. So like both of them have like scenes that are like that. And then, both of them have like again with season of the witch as Joan is doing these different uh, uh, spells and whatnot doing this witchcraft. And you're like, I don't really know if the witchcraft is actually doing anything. Just like with Martin, you're watching it and going like, I don't know if he's actually like a true, you know, vampire in the, in the sense of the word we're used to, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, so I, I really don't know. I feel like Martin executes it better, but I feel like maybe season of the witch. I don't know. It's one of those things I'm like, because I've only seen each of these films once. Yeah. So I think I'm going to have to watch each of them again at some point. Yeah. And go from there. Yeah. So, and then final question. I think you probably saw this one coming. Which one of these films, if you were at a party or something like that, and for some reason, Somebody was to come up to you and go, let's watch one of these two movies. Which one would you pick? I would pick Martin. Yeah, I definitely would too. Yeah. N- neither one of them's really like a party movie. Yeah, I was like, uh, it'd be like, you got Dawn of the Dead anywhere? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, exactly, because Dawn of the Dead is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Martin is somewhat miserable. Yeah. And it, it's miserable, but there's a lot of gore. And then there is some fun elements to it, like again like the the awesome you know home invasion scene that you see or even the parade's kind of a fun scene Mm -hmm. Uh, but i feel like with season of the witch it's it's kind of a little bit too talky 
Yeah. To where if you're, I mean, we were watching it, not saying a word. We, you, you know, you and I were just intently studying what was happening on the screen, just watching it. And we still walked out of it going, what was going on there? Yeah. I feel like if somebody was at a party and just like half paying attention, it would just completely go over their head and they would be left saying, what a strange movie. I don't really want to watch it again, but what a strange movie. Definitely. As opposed to how we are now where it's like, that was a strange movie, but you know, maybe we'll give it another chance or a couple more chances to kind of try to get the message. Because like in both of these movies, like George Romero, got some good people to act in it yeah and they pull off their parts all pretty good i would say especially with martin but even in season of the witch i thought everyone did a pretty good job yeah um and i want to say so you know on it's it's hard to tell you which zombie it is so on night of the living dead i want to say it's the first zombie that you see when they're in the graveyard yeah i have the picture like mental picture yeah it's kind of got the weird teeth and stuff yeah I read somewhere that the same guy that played that zombie was the guy that was wearing that devil mask in her dream. I wouldn't be surprised because Romero liked to reuse like actors, actors. which I think is really awesome. And like a lot of people, I guess from Pittsburgh have been in like different, especially with the zombie films and stuff like, yeah, you could like find people who've been an extra. Yeah. And that really speaks to George Romero's character. Like, Every one of his films is somewhat a, like, community-driven film. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, and, like, kind of, it's Hollywood, but anti-Hollywood, like, filming in, like, Pittsburgh and... Yeah, and and low budget. I mean, again, 80,000 and 90,000. I know that back then, that money probably went a little bit farther, but still, I mean, when... Most movies that we see in theaters now are in the millions of dollars. I mean, it's these are very small budgets. Yeah. Very small budgets. And there are movies that are not exactly blockbusters, but that really make you think. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that's where, in my opinion, Romero excelled as a filmmaker. Whether that's Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, monkey shines you know that that was always the driving factor in his films was he had a a message for each film that he was kind of trying to portray and he wasn't going to let any kind of like limitations as far as the studio went kind of distract from that yeah and we're definitely going to be talking about more of his films in the future definitely yeah well we're we've been planning on doing something with the dead the well both dead trilogies for a while there and monkey shines will appear sometime oh yeah monkey shines is great see romero is one of those directors where like I, i i i need to watch all of his films but from my perspective as of now at least he hasn't really made a bad film like, Season of the Witch is just kind of, like, not really... Like, it, I, I wasn't blown away by it, but it made me think. Yeah, and I, I really kind of wish he could have done a remake of it just to see where he went with exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Because I'm sure with, like, from the years of learning, from, like, even from doing Martin and, like, some other films, I'm sure he could have pulled something off. Yeah, I, I feel like he could have done it much more effective as, as far as the film goes. And we mentioned before how it started out like it was a four hour cut and he pretty much edited that till it was cut in half and kept shrinking it almost like kind of re-editing it. And I think that that kind of, I think you mentioned it before, Joe, that that just shows you 
how indecisive he was about it. Like, yeah, like he had the ideas and like message, but wasn't coming across right or something. Yeah, there was some indecision there. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, I th- I think that about covers it. Yeah. So it, I'd say watch both of these films. If for whatever reason you can only watch one, and you have a lot of disposable money <laughs> that you're willing to buy a expensive DVD of Martin for, I'd say watch Martin. I, Season I, of the Witch is more accessible. <laughs> yeah, and and that's strange to me too, because like I've heard people talk about Martin, I've heard reviews about Martin. I don't know if I've ever heard any reviews for Season of the Witch. Yeah, um, it really doesn't get talked about a lot. I think it's. Definitely worth a watch, especially for the hardcore Romero fans. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think people should watch some of his underrated stuff. Yeah, like definitely. Kind of branch out from his zombie films. Mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah. If you've learned nothing else from this episode, watch more Romero. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good slogan for this yes. one. So anyways, I think that about does it for us. Yep. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. Alrighty. Bye. I'll still be stuck.